Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. So, um, eight or so years ago, my sister and her husband came to town to watch Katie perform in the Nutcracker. And, uh, I remember that after one of the performances, we went over to Taco Mac to have dinner, and we were sitting in this area back toward the back of it, and while we sat and visited Caleb, you know, he was around eight years old then, he asked if he could walk outside and play in this little fenced-off area that was right outside a door, all glass, we could see him right there. And so we told him that was fine as long as he wore his coat and stayed in that area because it had started snowing. There was snow accumulating around at that point. So he did. And after a bit, he came in and he asked if I would come out and meet someone. And I looked and I saw a person sitting on the curb in the snow. Caleb had apparently started up a conversation with this person, learned that they had some needs, and came inside to get his dad to come and help. So I go out, and I meet the person. And I began to learn of some difficulty that they're in. And after a few minutes, they looked at me and said, you know, is there any way you think you might be able to help? Um, And as I'm processing what I'm hearing, I can feel Caleb's gaze fixed on me. And as his gaze was kind of boring through me, it felt like a moment when I could stand or fall in my little boy's eyes. So I told the person I needed to make a quick call to pursue next steps of being able to help them. I was on staff at a church, and we had a systematic approach to these kind of situations that we were all asked to walk in. So I did that. And uh, as I called to get the ball rolling, my son began to ask me why we couldn't just take care of the situation right now. I tried to encourage him to trust that that was what I was trying to do, but to him the process looked like it simply kept a person on a curb in the cold for longer than was needed. The eyes of a child, the heart of a child. So I made the call, I connected with someone, they came, met the person, and then ended up taking them to a motel where they got a warm shower, a warm room, safe for an evening. That's kind of the the way that story went. Honest confession. I honestly doubt I would have seen them or done anything if my son had not called them to my attention. I would have missed him. I really believe that because I didn't see him. And looking back on this story, I started to wonder how many people in need do I miss, avoid, hurry past in a day, in a week, in a year, or in a lifetime. 
because I'm pressed for time or so focused on what I'm understanding and defining as most important right now. Now, whatever that number is, as I began to think about that, I started thinking about this. What does Jesus think of my missing, my avoiding, my hurrying past? Does Jesus call that loving? And before you think I'm oversimplifying a complex situation, I want to give us just a few short quotes from our book, our Lenten study, The Unhurried Life, An Unhurried Life. And I want to pray, and I want to look at this passage together. Listen to these quotes. Our Lord and Savior directs us to care for the person who is actually crossing our path. Proximity provides an opportunity to love. Here's another one. Love stops when it encounters human need. Love doesn't just walk by. Love makes time to investigate and serve. And then this one. Hurry glances. Love gazes and often stays and acts. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts will truly be pleasing to you, Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, teach us and make us more like our King. We pray through his name. Amen. So in our gospel reading, we heard this story where Jesus is replying to a Jewish lawyer who's trying to work an angle, protecting and promoting himself. Whether you see that or not, I hope to show it to you. When he was asked, who's my neighbor? Jesus looks at him and tells him the story of a man who was robbed on a road and how two people that this attorney would have deemed upstanding, respectable people pass by this man, and then someone this attorney would not have thought well of stops and takes care of the man. That's the story that Jesus tells and then asks him, which one do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man? Now, if you go through and try to break down all of what Diane read, that's a, that's a real simple overview, but I want to get to a couple of nuggets in here, okay? Stay with me. In the context of the parable, the lawyer is trying to put Jesus to the test, asking him what he must do to inherit eternal life. This is a very hot topic in the culture around Jesus in that day and time. Still a hot topic, but in specific, that's what's happening here. And Jesus looks to the attorney and he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? That's not postmodern relativistic response. There was a debate that was going on in that day and time. There were basically two lead horses in this debate. What must you do to be faithful in following Yahweh? One side of the debate 
said you have to love God with everything and you have to obey the law. The other side tweaked that a bit. Love God with everything and love neighbor as self. Now, Jesus actually subscribed to the latter point of view as a rabbi. He believed that the scripture taught that he had written that you should love God with everything and love neighbor as self. And the lawyer says that back to Jesus and he confirms his answer. Jesus says that's right. But then the lawyer reveals his real intent. He's actually looking for a loophole. He's trying in the question, who is my neighbor? He's trying to see who he has to love and who he can dismiss. Do you hear it? He wants to justify not loving some people, those who are inconveniently beneath a person like him. He wants to not love those who are undeserving of proper respect or care. And that's when Jesus tells the story. Now, the man from Jerusalem, the city of peace, the great city, that man, the priest and the Levite, they would represent in the culture and in the lawyer's mind, respectable people, reasonable people to feel good about and to care for. The Samaritan, not so much. Samaritans, as a people, were considered, and I know this is a crass phrase, but they literally were thought of as half-breeds. That's the way it would have been thought. Because they had Jewish ancestry and Gentile ancestry, and so it meant an impure merging of paganism and people of God in the Jewish mindset. So, really, at best, most Samaritans, by good, respectable Jews, would have been treated with dismissiveness, I would say, at best. Most likely, hateful disregard or aggression. They just really didn't care about them. You can even, if you read the scriptures carefully, see this in the mind of the apostles. When there are Jews that are in need of something, you'll see them respond one way. When it's a group of Gentiles in need of something, Jesus is the one that has to take more initiative sometimes. You can actually see that cultural break, that radical racial discontent that they had to steward. Now, Jesus tells this parable and shows the lawyer He can't escape it in the parable that this Samaritan, this, in their thinking, half-breed, disrespected person, less than person, has actually shown himself to be the only person in the story who shows real loving kindness or mercy. The respectable folks don't. He's the only one who does what the lawyer has already agreed to as the thing that those who inherit eternal life would do. See, he started out putting Jesus to the test and got hooked big time, got caught in his own net. 
He couldn't. I think he was actually even frustrated in his response. Did you notice how he didn't even name when Jesus said, who do you think was a better neighbor? Uh, better neighbor? He didn't say the Samaritan, did he? He said the one who showed him mercy. He is crawfishing from that comment as fast as he can. He did not want the person who he would have categorized as not respectable, less than to be the hero. But in this parable, Jesus shows this person as the one who actually does what God is doing. And when the lawyer is completely caught in that moment, and he answers the one who showed him mercy, Jesus didn't waste any time. You go and do likewise. He didn't say it explicitly, but he said, go be like the Samaritan. The guy probably couldn't have handled the latter comment. So, so here's why I bring all this up. As we look at slowing down and discerning a less hurried, more kingdom-oriented pace in life, I want to ask you something. Hearing this story, can you discern maybe a bridge between what Jesus is dealing with, with this guy in our lives today, where it might be applicable for us? This man had to seek to justify himself because he was building and seeking a kingdom contrary to the kingdom of God. He was seeking to build his own life. And he was making sure that he was okay. Do we do this? Let's let's think about it. What does the pace and trajectory, the pace, tempo, and trajectory, direction, of our life reveal? Well, I'll tell you what I see in myself and in most of who I know. I've noticed that the pace and trajectory of our lives often reveal us to be hurried and self-focused. So it's one of the more convicting messages I've written in a while, just so you know. Hit me between the eyes. See if you agree. A hurried, self-focused life often struggles to slow down enough to really see others. So, as a result, many needs easily get passed over and go unnoticed. A hurried, self-focused life, get this one, values efficiency and effectiveness over, not saying those are bad things, but we often value them more than the cumbersomeness of stepping into another person's struggle, especially when doing so is costly. A hurried, self-focused life is more concerned with self-protection, self-promotion, and comfort than being open to lose for another's benefit. We're fidgeting a lot. Did y'all notice? 
me to. When confronted or convicted, the fidgets start. And a hurried, self-focused life is often quicker to try and justify itself and slower to repent. And Lent is a season of repentance, not self-justification. The pace and trajectory I often witness in us reveal us to be quite hurried and self-focused. Maybe more so than we realize. Well, here's good news. God knows. And he didn't run off. He would rather send Holy Spirit to come and show us. Holy Spirit doesn't just lead us to comfort. That's marvelous. But he leads us to truth. Why? So that he can scold us or shame us? No. What does the truth do? It sets us free. It's like absolution. You're free. Now you go and do likewise, this guy. You go and do differently. We're free to live differently. And that's what this conviction would be about. In the uh, letter to the Ephesians that St. Paul wrote, listen to what he says. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which the Lord has prepared beforehand we should walk in them. There are things that God set apart. I've referred to this as T-ball before. It's coach pitch. God is like making it as available and doable as possible without like moving the puppet strings on us. He's setting it all up there and he's inviting us, calling us, commanding us even to be about it. What are these works? Do you think it's possible that we might be missing them? That we might be racing past what God is putting right in front of us? We need to slow down and take time to discover and align ourselves with what God is doing. Like Jesus said, I do what I see my Father doing. How did he discern that? He slowed down and paid attention. Here are some pointed questions I want to give us, and these are diagnostic, okay? These questions are meant to lead us, if we answer them honestly, to help discern whether or not we're hurrying past the good things God intends for us. Here, here, let's try this. Do you ever find that sometimes your pace of life harms another even when what you're doing is intended to help them? I'll tell you how I do this. When my family is looking for time with me, and I remember this before I was a preacher too. So for those of you who are like, well, you're weird. I I just want to say that I used to be a therapist. I used to do different work. And I would be working really hard in lots of hours, and my family would look for time with me. I remember when Caleb was about three or four years old, he made a comment to me in passing. Dad, you have more of a relationship with your phone than you do your family. Yep. My labor in hoping to provide for them and care well for them was leading me away from them. And I was hurting them. Did I want to? No. But I did. 
Here's another one. Am I ever more concerned with being efficient in managing tasks or maintaining certain principles to the point that I'm willing to be unloving toward others to accomplish my goals? Told you this was convicting. I get it. Where do you hear this one? If I had to lower my personal standards of productivity in order to be more loving, would I be willing to? And the reason I feel okay to ask that, I'm not lobbing grenades from the cheap seats. God said, in the end, we're going to be judged for something. And it is not productivity. It is not efficiency. It is whether or not we loved him and loved neighbor as self. We cannot escape that judgment. It will come. And answering these questions might help reveal to us whether or not we are saying one thing but actually living that we have a higher commitment to something other than loving God unstoppably and loving neighbor as self. By the time I was writing this part, I didn't want to preach this anymore. It was so convicting. (laughs) that we're possibly hurrying past that for which we were created, reaching for an elusive ideal that will leave us and others committed to less than what we were made for in the end. And the kids will scream at us. I've told this story in here before, but I'm going to tell it quickly again for those of you who haven't heard it. A young single mom working, child care during the day. This is back in Texas. She, she comes home at the end of the day, brings her boy home, and he's so hungry. And she's trying to cook dinner for him. But she can't get it done fast enough, so she looks over and there's a Domino's box. She opens it up, and there's leftover pizza crust in there from day before. So she's got him in his high chair, and she just gives him a piece of pizza crust. And he starts gnawing on this thing like a dog on a bone, right? She gets the meal done, puts everything together, then takes it over to him and takes the pizza crust. And you know what happened. He freaked out. He had no concept of giving that up for the good thing she was bringing. Followers of Jesus, God has created us to do Things. He's called us for things, works, that no other people group are able. They, they can't attend to it. There's no other people group that will attend to the things intended for the church. It's only the church. It's only the church. There is no one else. It's us. I believe that Holy Spirit is calling us to see how we're trading what our Father has in mind for something else. How we're missing the rich goodness that He's bringing to us, that He intends to use us to bring to the world. How we're missing it because we won't let go of our pizza crust. We must 
just slow our pace enough to look, learn, and lean in to what God has in mind for us. A healthy, intentional, unhurried life that sees one another and then together begins to see others so that we might love well. This grace that we've been given in Christ, God has given it to us with the intent that it would reach the world through us. He's given it to us to reach culture through us. There is no one else to do the job. Slow down. Humbly. You can say it to me. I don't mind. This convicts me every bit as much as it does anyone. I promise. Slow down. Look. Listen. Learn. And lean in to what listening to the Mission Red Bank podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.